You're listening to 50 Plus a Tip, the show for strippers, ethical sluts, and other open-minded whores. Hi, lovelies. Welcome back to 50 Plus a Tip. Today, Riley and I are joined by social media influencer and fact activist Megan Exum. Megan is an all-around content creator focusing on body and sex positivity, plus-size fashion, and women's empowerment. After pursuing an education in marketing and brand development, Megan decided to put her career to use by developing a platform that benefited from creativity, honesty, and social awareness. Megan believes in the power of social media to bring together people and use her passion to create organic brand development, both personally and professionally. She continues to use her platform as a sounding board to cover topics most important to these core values. Megan's work focuses on combining passion with accountability and throwing in some stellar visuals as a bonus. And just a side note before we get started, a trigger warning for those of you who may need it. We are talking about eating disorders in this episode, so please be aware that that will come up. We have also included some resources at the end of this episode for those who may find them helpful with regards to eating disorders. But without further ado, here's the episode. You guys are going to love it. Megan is fabulous. She's super open, super real, super authentic, really unapologetically herself, things we adore, and you guys are going to love this episode. So here you go. Hey, Megan. Thank you so much for joining us. We are so excited to have you on today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be on. I'm a big fan. Yay. So firstly, can you explain what a, in quotes, fat activist is? Um, I believe, in my opinion, it's somebody that is focusing on the inclusivity of all body types, but making sure that we are centering the most marginalized in our community, especially when it comes to body acceptance and body positivity. Uh, It feels as though we kind of center around already socially acceptable bodies. So raising awareness of, you know, especially people who um, are super fats and affinity fats, um, you know, just really increasing, like understanding that it's not just something that is based in physicality, but actually exists in healthcare bias, um, work bias, uh, a lot of harm, like actual physical and mental harm that's caused. So it's not so simple as like, just love yourself, you know? (laughs) And it really, for me, the work is kind of like exposing the need for diversity in almost everything and every position and market in our society as well. You use two terms there, a super fat and infinity fat. Um, yes. Yeah. Do you mind just telling us what those mean and also what other sort of terminology that we should be shifting as a society? Sure, definitely. Well, I think definitely one of the things is being comfortable and understanding of the word fat. Uh, the word fat is a descriptor. It's not a negative. It's not a positive. It is just inherently a way to describe oneself and one's body. Um, you know, there also is another word that I like to describe is straight size. There's once again, nothing negative or positive regarding that phrase is just somebody who has basic accessibility to most things uh, like clothing. You're able to go to a store in the mall and predominantly find things in your size um, compared to plus size where, you know, it's going to be more strenuous and you're going to have more difficulty, not only with clothing, but accessibility in other places like airplanes, restaurants, things like that. So obviously, you know, the larger you are in a society, like I'm a mid fat, for example, 
so I'm about a size 20. Um, we have our small fats, which is anyone who identifies as fat, but usually doesn't go into like a size 16. So anyone like a size 16 and below, just because it makes it a little bit easier to put numbers to things instead of just assumptions. And then the larger we go, we have our super fats who are people usually predominantly the size of like 22 to like 26, 28. And then infinity fats are people who expand beyond that size. And obviously the bigger we get, the more marginalized we get as well. And then obviously other differentiating factors like race, positioning, you know, education, things like that go into play as well. That's interesting. I've never heard those terms before. No. Are you on TikTok? I can't remember. I was on TikTok and of course because you know I'm a fat person wearing a bikini I've been deleted about five times now yeah I I just asking because um I'm an avid TikTok viewer and um I literally just to get like a reference I opened the door today to let her in and she's like ding dong I was like oh my god (laughs) which is like a TikTok thing I was like get out of my house (laughs) um but there's a lot of discourse around um, plus size and mid size, and and communities almost gatekeeping or trying to uh, tell other people where they fit in. Um, could you theorize, like maybe why that is, or what the gatekeeping is about? I know that's kind of a vague question. Yeah, that is a big question, but I think that that's a fair question. I definitely think you know, through, I can only speak for myself. Right. And, you know, I think that there has been a lot of gatekeeping within the body positive community. Um, you know, like I personally don't see people who look like me or look even more different than me as like the forefront of movement that's meant to protect the most marginalized in our community. But yet, you know, like I know from people within my field, like we're not the ones getting the dove campaigns or, you know, (laughs) things like that for a movement that kind of was meant to center around, especially black queer women, and, you know, so it kind of began a point where, no, we're going to talk about fat acceptance because nothing stems from what, once we get to fat acceptance and acceptance of fat bodies, that will just circle back to acceptance of all bodies, right? Because most of it stems from systematic fat phobia. So, you know, there's this idea of midsize, which makes me uncomfortable, to be perfectly honest. And I understand why people are like, well, I'm not plus size and I'm not model size. So like, where do I fit in? And like, that's, that's all fair and good. But for some reason, I know people in my community feel like midsize is a way to just say that you're not fat, Mm. (laughs) you know, and that's kind of where that concern comes from where it's like, Oh, I'm not, I'm like a little bit curvy and, you know, and it's like, well, you're still in a socially acceptable body. So like saying that your midsize is not a great way to ignore the conversations that actually are happening. And, you know, I've had people where they've actually become offended by being called straight sizes. And I was like, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just a way to kind of differentiate. Like, it's not a negative. It's not a positive. We're not, like, saying that there's anything wrong with you because I truly believe that all bodies were working towards everyone be accepted, not putting into a ranking system. So, you know, I know that there's this big thing with, like, I'm a midsize, yada, yada, yada. But I I do have my concerns personally with it because it's like, that's great. Like, that's great that you're trying to find, like, some differentiation. But also it sometimes feels as though it's like, well, I just want people to know that I'm curvy in the right 
way or like I am thick in the right way. And it's like, no, because then you're actually causing more harm towards people who have bellies, don't have the perfect hourglass figure, you know, don't have a thin face. And yes, but I do know that's like a trending thing right now on TikTok. Yeah, no, that that answers my question. So perfect. (laughs) So speaking of social media, we read on your Instagram that you battled with an eating disorder when you were younger, and both Riley and I have talked about um, our struggles with eating disorders on the podcast. And you noted noted that your ED wasn't taken seriously because you didn't look in quotes like you had an eating disorder. Can you tell us a little bit about that journey and how you got help with that? Yeah, of course. That's a long convo. So I'm going to, you know, try to abbreviate a little bit. Um, I was first placed on a diet by the age of nine. Um, I had been on and off diets from that point until about 25. Um, I didn't realize I had a full on eating disorder, which was anorexia until the age of 21, 22. And that was the worst part was that was, I was basically eating 600 calories a day, working out four days a week, twice a day on those days. Um, you know, I was avid calorie counting, measuring every single thing I put into my body and kind of rewarding myself with going shopping for every day, less and less calories. And, you know, it actually took me separating myself from my parents who were active dieters and my mother actually owns a dieting company. So it actually took me getting away from that environment quite a bit. And, uh, my best friend at the time actually died from an eating disorder at the age of 25. And that was kind of my big wake up call that I was basically said enough is enough, you know? I was starving myself and only till about size 12. So even though that I was dying to become, you know, basically make myself smaller and quieter and not really show my true self and true personality, I still couldn't even do it. My body wouldn't even allow me to get to that point. And it really took me stepping away from my family in that point um, getting some help and having one of the worst possible things happen to me, watching my best friend die in front of me and not being able to do anything, not being able to say anything that would change how she felt about herself. And now I, you know, I, I feel as though I'm so proud of my body and I know people find that so weird as I exist in a size 20, but honestly, like this body has survived that point in time and is strong and is healthy. And, you know, I'm thankful every day that I luckily was able to get out of that system and to get out of that extreme diet culture. I'm so sorry to hear that. I think that that's something that a lot of people don't really realize is how all consuming and how dangerous eating disorders are. Um, they have, I think, the highest mortality rate of any mental health. Like last time I checked, mental illness. Yeah, yeah. me too. Yes. Yeah, I think a lot of things that people don't realize too is being that quote-unquote anorexic look is something that is just a symptom of some people with an eating disorder and other eating disorders and other symptoms are where the real 
um, problems lie. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Oh, definitely. And I think that was, you know, why I wasn't taken seriously because I still was, you know, a somewhat large woman. And people, when I talk about my eating disorder, even now are like, oh, were you an overeater? And I'm like, no, I've never been an overeater. Actually, I'm a pretty, like, now I'm so thankful that I'm an intuitive eater and like I enjoy eating and I take pleasure in eating, but that was never really something I would do unless I was on an extreme diet that limited the things. And then of course your body, when you limit things, is going to crave the thing you're not allowed to have. (laughs) But, you know, like for me, you know, telling people I was anorexic, they're like, but how you're still fat, you know? So obviously you're not actually anorexic or, you know, you're doing it wrong. And I was like, no, (laughs) that's not how any of this works. (laughs) Yeah. That's wow. That's like, that's literally like being like, oh, you don't look depressed because you can like slap a (laughs) smile on your face. Yeah. Um, So as you just said, you've been on and off diet since the age of nine and your mom has a dieting company. What was the conversation around diets and body and body positivity growing up? I mean, there was no conversation about body positivity at all. You know, I, I definitely think, you know, my parents were both larger people who were both, you know, very athletic though, but I definitely think, you know, my mother grew up during the nineties peak time where everything was dieting pills, you know, um, Kate Moss saying nothing tastes as good as skinny feels, uh, a lot of that mentality. So it's not in heart entirely. Like I don't blame my parents entirely for everything because it's a lot of societal difficulties and pressure as well. And being a plus size woman in the nineties is not the same as being a plus size woman here, even though we have so much work to do. And I can see that, but you know, I think I, even when I look back at pictures of myself at nine years old, the way that I picture myself and the way I actually looked is night and day. I thought that I was always a chubby child. Um, and then I looked at photos like about three years ago and I was like, no, I look terribly normal, active child, just existing. But, you know, when you are put into those settings, you're put around, you know, especially when going to Weight Watchers where everyone is, you know, acting like food is the enemy and that no one's happy with their body. Of course, that's going to implement how you're going to exist and how you're going to feel for the rest of your life. And I think it just spirals from that. I mean, I think, you know, for me, I joke, it's like, I've done every single diet that exists. You know, I was like, I was on Atkins for a year at like 15 years old. You know, I did keto at some point. I did the Mediterranean diet because my parents were the ones cooking. And obviously at like 12 years old, I might be able, they're not going to be like, Hey, here's your separate food. That was not a thing. It was like, no, what I'm cooking, everyone's going to eating. We all dieted together. Um, it was a family activity and I didn't know what it was like to have a normal eating life until, you know, I finally moved out on my own and was like, Oh, I can actually control what I want to eat and get choices and not have to feel like I have to sneak a donut in the, you know, garage. <laughs> and it's, it's a crazy thing because you don't even think about it when you've, you're raised that way. You're like, Oh, this is just what everyone does. This is just, you know, what is normal to me. This is what normal. And then once you finally get out of that toxic diet culture, you're like, no, not everyone's supposed to be dieting every single day of their lives. It's freaking terrible, (laughs) terrible way to live. Oh yeah, definitely. Has the discourse between you and your parents changed now that you have kind of come into your own 
with being more positive um, and, and a fat activist? Um, I mean, my family, so like, I don't have a relationship with my mother at this point, um, somewhat due to, you know, this kind of rhetoric because she just, this is the way that she exists in life, right? This is just, that is her work. That is, you know, what she does for a living, how she exists. And, you know, that's sadly something that I've had to, for my mental and physical health, just not be a part of. And my father, you know, my father's always been very supportive, but he kind of puts it on himself. Like he's somebody who still does like the biggest loser challenges at work. And I'll see it on Facebook and I'm like, okay, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not here to be like the educator to everyone. I'm just here to like put the information out there and you can either choose to digest it or not. But also my parents don't follow me on Instagram. So I don't even know that they know that I am an influencer, let alone an activist. (laughs) (laughs) They still don't even know what I do for work. It's very funny. I feel like that's most like millennials parents, (laughs) like especially if it's like online stuff, they're like, huh? Like I told my parents, like, yes. yeah, we made it to 10,000 followers or something. They're like, what's that? I'm like, it's a good thing. Just be happy for it's me. Just be happy. <laughs> it was a goal. Like, just be happy. Oh yeah. Like I do social media full time for businesses and I had like a dog walking business. I have a dog walking business as well. And I went to school for business, but like my parents always thought I was going to become a doctor. And even that going to school for business was like, Ooh, Megan the rebel, you know, it's so funny. Cause like in other people's eyes, they're like, you're very successful. And I'm like, yeah, my parents don't even, if I told them now what I did, they'd be like, okay, so long as you don't ask us for money. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Like, don't worry about it. I can pay my yeah. own bills. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> so yes, we did creep your social media. So we also oh, noticed. Yeah. <laughs> So we also noticed that you recently made an Instagram post with the caption, quote, unposed, unedited, unfiltered, unapologetic. This is what I look like, and I make no apologies, exceptions, excuses, or warnings, end quote. And I think that's a place that we all really strive to get to. So how do you get there? (laughs) It takes a lot. It takes a lot. And, you know, one of my biggest frustrating things is, like, people have this perception or, like, people project their insecurities onto me, which is, is okay, but also can take a lot of emotional, um, damage to me. But, um, I think years, years of unlearning that I'm supposed to be not only not okay with my body, but actively trying to change it, that I cannot be beautiful because I look a certain type of way that I come from a variety of backgrounds. You know, I don't fit into like general, like acceptance, you know, physical, but like, I think for me, like I, I am at the point where I am so comfortable and happy with the way that I look and that no matter what, when I gain weight, when I lose weight, when I have a bunch of pimples on my face, things like that, like I still am like this vessel is what's keeping me alive. Like I have really put into it love and acceptance and it's like I'm going to love myself because if I don't love myself who the fuck else will you know so like not only am I at that point I'm like if I can influence other people to be unapologetically happy with themselves or accepting because like not everyone's going to be happy. You know, that's what also I'm like this, like fake positivity. I'm like, people, we're not always happy and that's not possible, but you know what? 
just because we're unhappy doesn't mean that we don't deserve bodily autonomy and to be respected for ourselves. And I'm at a point where I'm angry. Like I'm angry that my peers and people are getting harassed every single day just because of the way that they look. They get denied employment. They get denied proper health care. You know, I, I'm angry that I made a TikTok and I posted a video of myself in a bathing suit and I gained 10,000 followers and then the next day was immediately deleted, you know, and there's nothing that can be done. I'm angry that I've had my personal account, which, you know, has no nudity whatsoever, was possibly deleted about eight different times, <laughs> you know, like that we can't exist, let alone thrive. And if that takes me, you know, being a little sassy in my captions and calling out people's bullshit, then that's what I'm going to do. Yeah, that's awesome. And I think people definitely did called up for it. And I completely agree with like that feeling of like anger and like, okay, enough's enough. When like you're, you see your peers like suffering, it's like, okay, I have a platform where I can have a voice. Um, and just that like desire to use it. And I agree. It's not easy to get there with like the body acceptance thing. And I love the comment of like, we're not all going to be happy. And that's, that's important to like differentiate like body acceptance doesn't always equal. Like I love, love it. And like that fake, like positivity concept of like being super happy with it. So as we know, anytime you put yourself out there, you get to connect with really awesome people, which is great. Social media is awesome for that. But (laughs) you also open yourself up to some really shitty people. (laughs) They're everywhere. They're everywhere online. They're everywhere and they have nothing else to do, so they will find you. Exactly. do they have so much free time? They must all be millionaires, you know, or like in their parents' basement. It's just just Jeffrey Bezos. (laughs) Jeffrey Bezos on a million accounts. It's called Jeffrey Bezos. It's all the troll accounts. (laughs) Imagine how pathetic that is. You're the most, the richest man in the world. Your kink is to bully people who like can barely afford things on Amazon. Like, yeah. <laughs> talk he's about like in his little spaceship. <laughs> he's like, <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I think for me, I think I've gotten so good. Uh, although sometimes it does affect me about bullies because I know it's all projection and I know that it's coming from a place of hurt. It's not coming from a place of hate. It's, it's sadly somebody who is so unhappy with their lives that they need to bring everyone else down with them. And if they see someone that they perceive to be less than them enjoying themselves or being proud of themselves, that hurts them to their core. And that is actually, actually very sad to me you know it it's it's sad to me that that's the way that people have to get their hurt out and that it causes harm but for me I think of it that way and I'm like you know what I'm just going to call out this behavior I'm going to deal with it head on and then hopefully we can get to a place of education or to a place where they're scared off from doing it because I'm not somebody who's just going to be like, oh, you call me a fat whore. I'm so sad. I'm like, no, like you're dumb because I'm okay with both of those things. Like that's not offensive to me. hundred <laughs> percent. I completely agree with yeah. the concept and it sounds cliche, but like misery does love company, I think. Exactly. And I think it's really true when someone's like hating on you. It's like, it's clearly, yeah, they're a miserable person and they need to make other people miserable as well. 
So fuck them. (laughs) (laughs) Also, I know I'm trying to be like, let's be nice to them, but it's also fuck them in the same breath. I'm like, let's give them empathy, but also fuck you. (laughs) A hundred percent. At the end of the day, like, I, I'm not sure like exactly how you deal with haters on, um, social media. Do you just like delete the comments? Do you address the comments? I address, I'm somebody, well, if I have the time, because I am a busy person, but like if somebody's stupid enough when like a Sunday night, when I'm like, you know, hanging out, watching Netflix and drop some comments, I'm like, I have the time. (laughs) Like, I'm like, you picked the wrong time for this. But if it's actually harmful and I think will harm people in my community seeing comments like that, I'll delete it because I'm like, nobody has the right to access to you. And I feel like that's a perception we have on social media where it's like everything's public and open for like any kind of discourse. I'm like, no, this is your social media. This is your work, your page. You know, if you need to save yourself and give yourself some grace, like nobody is deserving of all of your information, your existence, things like that. And if they're causing you discomfort and hurt, block is a very easy thing to do. And it'll take you two seconds. I know some people are like, oh, no, like that's, you know, but it's if there's no reasoning with someone, it's not honest communication or like honest, you know, because we're all going to have. Like, I don't want everyone to agree with me. That's not plausible. You know, especially somebody like I have opinions. I'm not going to always do the right thing. I haven't always done the right thing. But I can honestly say that, like, if somebody gives me corrective response or like, you know, is like, hey, I don't think that this was a great thing you did. This is why I'm always going to listen and try to become a better person and to do better. But if somebody is just going like, you're a fat, disgusting bitch and I hope you die. Like, there's no you know, discourse or anything that can be said at that point. Yeah. I think it's very easy in those moments to want to hurt that person back. Um, but I just like to remember that nothing will hurt them more than the inside of their lonely mother's basement. (laughs) (laughs) Their lonely, lonely heart. (laughs) I completely agree with, um, with the podcast page. It's obviously, public and the content of it is very much pro slut yes. right and I mean <laughs> and anti misogynistic men not all men no. hashtag just not all men misogynistic oh god hashtag not all men yeah. <laughs> we're taking the hashtag back <laughs> yeah we're taking the hashtag back yeah. no but when you when you have opinions, that's the thing about the internet. When, like, I like to joke that I'm a woman who has a lot of opinions. You know, like, I, I have, I'm a very open and honest conversational person. But that's going to piss people off anyways. And when you talk about topics that actually are important, relevant, or have to do with, you know, anyone in a marginalized community, people are going to get really heated about it because it's an easy thing to get to throw your opinion out there for yeah, no, definitely. The amount of blocking and deleting I do, I, I, it's insane. I, it's insane. But it's a big thing is what you said. Like, if the comment is, honestly, I just delete most male comments, let's be honest. But um, if the comment was like a, a curious commenter, okay, sure, yeah. I will engage a little bit. Yes. But if it's a derogatory or misogynistic remark, they get deleted so fast. I cannot, I don't want my page to be a place where someone comes to the comments and then they also feel attacked. So they get deleted right the fuck away, blocked. Sometimes I repost their comment on the story to be like loser of the week because that <laughs> makes me a little happy. I love that. <laughs> also, it's 
not only to protect yourself and your NH, also to protect the community you've established because you want people to feel like they're comfortable and okay to have their discourse within your page. Anyways, like the people who actually support you. And that's something I actively, because like, I don't want people who are supporters of me to get, you know, trolled and harassed on my pages. Like I'm not going to stand for that. It's one thing to harass me. It's another thing to make people who are looking for a community like this to feel uncomfortable. That's, that goes against everything I stand for, you know? So I think, you know, there's a time and place for these things, but there's also a point where, you know, there is no reasoning with everyone and everyone is 10 times worse behind a keyboard than they ever will be to your face. Right. Oh yes. Oh yes, they are. (laughs) So (laughs) switching gears a bit here, you do posing classes and honestly, Lord knows we could use some help. So (laughs) what are some main tips you would have on how to crush a photo shoot? Oh, I love this question. I don't think I've ever been asked this on a podcast. Yeah. So I host posing classes. I like to call posing classes for the normal people, even though I technically do model and that feels so weird to me. I'm like, you're not one of us. (laughs) Yeah. I'm like, I'm no, I don't know about that. Um, so some of my tips are not, do not be afraid of taking space within your frame, you know, using your body and accentuating your body into places. Another tip of mine is to keep it moving. I feel as though we try to like stay focused and get that one shot of one look. Whereas if you give yourself options and you're constantly flowing and directing, you get kind of a perception of things the way that you wouldn't normally take a photo. So like, I like to say like self timer is your best friend, keep it moving, use up your space And also have fun with it. So one of my biggest tips for photos for me is when I'm taking selfies, I like to pick a buzzword or adjective and put that buzzword or feeling into the photos. So that's um, kind of something that I work on in my class. And I'm like, okay, so give me a vibe. I call it like a vibe. So I'm like, am I going for devilish? Am I going for angelic? Am I going for mischievous? You know, I did a, I did a Christmas version of this for a femme night and there it was, somebody gave me the buzzword Grinch. And I was like, okay, let me try to pull off Grinch in these selfie photos. And it worked. Like people were like, oh my God, I can see Grinch somehow. <laughs> like, like, did she or did she not steal Christmas? It's <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, just stealing Christmas guys. No big deal. So I think, you know, making sure that like you are having fun with it, but also, you know, giving yourself kind of a direction. So you're not just like, I'm just taking selfies of my face. Like that gets boring very quickly. And then you kind of question yourself. Whereas if you give yourself a little bit of a direction, what I like to call a vibe that kind of helps with, you know, putting yourself, giving yourself facial expressions, you know, you get to like dainty, bashful, strong. I know they can't see what I'm doing, but (laughs) (laughs) yes, that, that would be some of my suggestions when taking uh, selfies. (laughs) Awesome. But still go take her class. (laughs) Yeah, so if you want my class, message me. I'll send it to you. <laughs> okay, so speaking of classes, you also teach a class on how to be successful on OnlyFans. Do you have any tips or some tips uh, for those starting their OF adventures? Ooh, okay. Um, so definitely, if you want that class, I do sell that class. But some tips 
I like to say is to remember that OnlyFans is not a marketplace. It is a place where you're generating fans specifically to your brand because although it is sex work or whatever you plan on doing with your OnlyFans, it is people are buying into you and your brand. So it's all about branding and putting yourself out there on other platforms. So like, don't go into OnlyFans thinking that it's going to be an overnight success if you don't already have a fan base or have a niche where people are actively asking you for that specific content. So like before making OnlyFans, make sure to promote yourself on other entities so that people are enticed to buy that content. I think that's usually the biggest hang up that people have. And like, even some of my friends were like, I'm just going to start OnlyFans and make a ton of money selling my feet pics. And I'm like, okay, go try that. Like, let me know how it is in two months. <laughs> we have this idea where it's like this easy, fast money, but it is a job just like any other job. So if you treat it like a job, you're going to have more success. Yeah, I think it was a, a big wake up call for a lot of people who definitely stuck with the narrative of like, oh, if this doesn't work out, I'll just do sex work. I know, and it's hilarious, and I'm like, uh, that's not how any of this works, guys. And also, please be safe and practical and respect sex workers. And also, another thing that kind of drives me insane is people will ask me for free help on OnlyFans, which is okay, but also to ask for free labor for a thing that you plan on getting paid for for your labor feels very gross. Um, So one of my biggest you know, things that I suggest for people entering sex work, entering OnlyFans, that is to pay a sex worker. Pay a sex worker that you love and that you like their work and you plan on doing something of a similar niche. Pay them and they will train you for the most part and you'll get access to everything you need to know while still supporting sex work. It's a win-win, guys. That is something that I think we have said on the podcast Every episode? <laughs> yeah, 100%. Like, pay for the things you want to be paid for. It's not like to ask for free labor from sex workers to me is literally one of the grossest things. And I try to be so nice about it, but I'm also like, I offer an OnlyFans course for $30. If you'd like to buy that and also support me, it's a two-hour course. <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely. Like you would just never go to any other trade I guess you could compare it to and be like hey can you teach me to um just plumb for free I'm not going to work for you um but I'm just going to go like start my own business like you would just never do that but people do I mean I work in marketing as well and social media and I've had people where you know this is a similar job so I guess that's why I kind of get that overlap even though people are like sex work and marketing. Yes, I have an MBA and also I'm a sex worker. Um, But, you know, so I do sometimes get asked for like free marketing and I'm like, I have spent a hundred thousand dollars on this education with five years. Like I'll give you two minutes of my time and then everything else is hourly. (laughs) Cause I'm like, I, you, everyone deserves to get paid for their work and their expertise. This is why it's called expertise. You invest years and, you know, an amount of education, whether it is sex work, whether it is, you know, teaching, whether it is engineering, it's all the same thing. It's all work. So, you know, when you are especially entering something and you don't put that respect into a field, I immediately am like, I don't know if this is for you. (laughs) Get out and stay out. (laughs) Yeah. Like I, I, you know, put some respect on other people's names that have made it more accessible as well. 
Yeah, that's something I've struggled with a lot. I am naturally a teacher. I naturally want to help everyone. Yeah. And even with like Me the too. podcast and the the um, Instagram handle and when people email me, I'm always like, oh, here's the best way to capitalize. Here's the best way to monetize. Um, when I yeah. work gigs, I always like tell a girl like, hey, like do this, do this, right? <laughs> yeah. And then I like step back. I'm like, wait, I've learned all this the hard way with almost eight yeah. years of being in the industry and a lot of bullshit. I should probably not, you know, give everyone seven years of education in five minutes. Like, I'm free. You know, there's there's a time and place. So, like, for me, my rule is that I will always give, for especially with my platform for Miss Giggles, I will always give free advice when it comes to body acceptance, fashion, sex, and you know, anything that revolves around those things, because mm-hmm. that's a passion. That's what the platform is for. Mm-hmm. So like, if I get any questions regarding those topics, food as well, like I'm always available. And when I get to you, I promise, like, I will give you the advice, but when it's something that I've invested in and that I've specifically, you know, gained education or gained that like real life experience tooth and nail, that that's unfair to ask for freely. And I don't think it's unreasonable to be expected to be compensated for that. No, and like, especially if you're already giving all these things that you have still invested time into to learn, including, um, you know, as you said, fashion, um, body positivity, anything like that, like that's still a lot of your time and energy invested into that. So when you're already giving that away for free, um, I don't think it's at all unreasonable to be like, you know what? I, I want to be paid for this small section that I deserve to be paid for. I mean, you yeah. deserve to be paid for it at all, but it's okay yeah. to reserve that section, you know? Yes, precisely that. And although I'm an influencer because I have a lot of opinions, I'm not making that, you know, Macy's money or like that top end influencer money. So, you know, I have to, I have to kind of generate somehow, right? <laughs> Definitely. Well, me and Riley talk about this a lot, what we see in social media and how things are slowly shifting, especially with us having struggled with eating disorders in the past. There has been a small, definitely overdue change for more inclusive models and brand ambassadors in the fashion industry and social media. However, this has not been without backlash. What is your response to those who say body acceptance for plus-sized women is promoting unhealthy habits or obesity? Oh, God. (laughs) I mean, Jesus. Once again, so many opinions. Uh, First off, uh, if I'm promoting obesity, good. End point. Great. You know what? If that means saving more fat people because you're offended that fat people are actually existing and let alone in clothing because you know clothing is not only a luxury but a fucking necessity you know and that our lack of accessibility in clothing actually makes us less accessible in society because you hold us to a higher standard but yet we don't have the same accessibility to a thing like a blazer like I can't go to a mall and get a blazer for an interview right now um it just makes me so angry like (laughs) it's um it's happened to me recently so I had a picture of myself reshared by Dolls Kill um, in a bikini, and it was one of the most engaged with pictures that they had on their feed that week. 
and the outlash of people who were extremely angry at the fact that I was a visibly fat woman in a bikini and that's it. There was no political, you know, representation. There was nothing talking about fatness. It was literally me existing in a bikini was absolutely astounding. And the worst part is like, although we are gaining more inclusivity and branding, it is not there. And the brands are not protecting us. Dolls killed themselves did not say a single damn thing to anyone during that entire week. But yet when somebody was called a whore on another post in a socially acceptable body, they went off on them. So, you know, there's so much work to be done. And the more that we see visibly fat people, not only curvy size 10 people, because we're not even there. I mean, the amount of visibly fat people I see in marketing is about 5% to 95% straight sized, yet we make 67% of the population. So if you're offended by one fat person in a brand, you know, I hope to say that there's a rude awakening coming. And the more that we actively support brands that push inclusivity and push extended sizing, the better our society is going to be with that because it shouldn't be, you know, this new exciting thing. It should be the standard at this point. And the fact that it isn't the standard is absolutely atrocious. That's really disappointing about Dolls Kill because don't they uh, kind of promote themselves as an alternative kind of like accepting brand? Yep, yep. Did you call them out for that? This is free. Yeah, I mean, I had other people. I made a post where I posted all of the captions of things people said about me, Um, not directly calling them out. And this was like free labor on my part because they were not sponsored post. They were not a sponsored thing. They literally just took my image and yet didn't protect me from the outcry of their own supporters, you know, and that's what it's like existing like a fat person openly on the internet. It's not just, you know, oh yeah, I love myself. It's like, no, you're actively going to be told that your existence is an abomination, which is horrifying because I decided to wear a goldfish bikini. <laughs> Wow, that's really, I, uh, yeah, that's really disappointing. I think it's um, also really interesting what you said there that um, you really only see about 5% of representation in like brand endorsements and that, but then fat people make up 65% of the population. That's yeah, wild. Yeah, growing the smaller scale numbers as well. You know, and we only, I mean, I want to, I nerd about the fashion industry all the time because I love, I love fashion. I have a room as a closet. I, find that as expression and it really helps with my self-confidence. And, you know, I'm somebody who I like to say that being a fashionable fat person is a full-time job. Um, it's not easy, let alone if you want to wear things that not only do you like, but then if you go into sustainability, accessibility, afford affordableness and like thrifting, I'm a big thrifter and it's almost impossible to thrift clothing as a fat person. But yet people, you know, will chastise others who buy fast fashion in plus size when, you know, that literally is usually the only thing, not only that they can get, but that they can afford. So it's a whole very convoluted conversation that I won't make everyone get into these days. But, you know, the sad part is, is that fat people make up at least 67% of the U.S. population, but yet only 8% of the market makes clothing above a size XL. And that is not even extended sizes. That's just the smallest fat. So the smallest fat fits a size XL. 
I personally wear a 2X and 3X. So that number, I only get about 4% of accessibility to all clothing in the industry. Quick side note, though, like considering you only get 4%, you do a damn good job because (laughs) your outfits are fucking bomb. Like I'm someone who wears like sweatpants and hoodies and not even like the cool, like, you know, like monochrome ones, just like, you know, stained and whatever. So like, yeah, your your page is definitely inspo for fashion because I cannot and you look fabulous. Oh, thank you. You also, there's a time and a place for a great sweatpant monochrome suit. I also (laughs) own a great sweatpant monochrome suit, you know. Yeah. Definitely a look. It's but, just yeah, not every day. You know? <laughs> is that we're denied, like we're basically considered not fashionable no matter what because our bodies are not, you know, palatable to most people. But yet when we fight hard for fashion, which is a privilege, by the way, through accessibility, and that's why one of my businesses is a resale plus size clothing business, literally to gain accessibility within my own community. And you know, it's really frustrating because it's like, we're not the ones in Vogue. We're not the ones, you know, in most like top 10 fashion influencers, things like that. But yet we have to put in 10 times the work to look quote unquote fashionable. Yeah, I believe it. No, I admit that totally makes sense. Do you think social media has helped or hindered in the shift of beauty standards? Both. <laughs> yeah, definitely, I definitely think both. I definitely think that it has pushed the narrative of what is beauty and that beauty comes in different shapes, sizes, you know, that we're not putting European centric, um, you know, descriptions of beauty as the forefront anymore, which I think is is wonderful. But I also think that we hold ourselves to an insane standard, especially, you know, like I'm somebody who didn't know what face tune was until about six months ago and then I realized how easy it was and how much people use it and it's it it's something to be said like it's not wrong to use that but it's sad that we feel as though we can only look perfect on social media and that we can't exist as normal people in a normal society because you know a lot of what we do see on social media is fake you know I'm somebody who prides themselves on edit like being true to my edits and just like to like changing lighting, things like that. But also, you know, sometimes it's just like a really good angle and lighting makes a huge freaking difference of how you look. And that might not be how I look in real life, but you know, I think that especially, I think I started to see that when Snapchat filters became really popular and then everyone would not post a single photo of themselves without a Snapchat filter. And that was really concerning for me because it's like, we, we should be allowed to be, naturally beautiful ourselves and I think that is what's sad to me and I can see that because you know we're thing when I go on dates nowadays people the number one comment I get is like oh my god you actually look like your photos and I'm like okay great cool I'm glad Uh, it would be weird if I don't (laughs) but yeah I think that there's there's pros and cons to it as well but I really hope we get back to like natural beauty Although there's nothing wrong with, you know, I don't have any issues with anything that anyone does to make themselves feel happier. I'm still somebody that's like, I'm not against plastic surgery because I will probably eventually get it once I get there. I'm not there yet, but, you know, I probably will. And that's where bodily autonomy comes from. Like, you should be allowed to do whatever is going to make you happy, right? 
and like what you want to do with your body and give respect to your body. But, um, yeah, I definitely think social media has increased awareness and increased our perceptions of beauty while also putting very strenuous ideas of beauty at the same time. Yeah, that's a good answer. I definitely noticed the same trend with Snapchat filters. And I think even at one point I was seeing articles about um, women going to plastic surgeons to look like Snapchat filters. And we're seeing kind of the same trend with, as you said, Facetune and then on TikTok, the beauty filter. And then there's one as well, the glow filter, I think, which just like slaps on some makeup. Like it just changes your face completely. Um, and you mentioned a, a little bit before that once we start accepting our bodies and especially fat bodies, it's sort of a rollback to accepting everything else. How do we start that? Like what sort of changes in body inclusivity and beauty standards do you hope to see in mainstream media to kind of kickstart that, that change? I definitely think centering fat people, um, centering fat people who come from our most marginalized communities. Uh, I definitely think making it so that businesses are not rewarded for posting the occasional fat person. It's actually accepted and having our straight allies call that out. I think for me, my biggest thing is like seeing friends support businesses that would never even cater to somebody who looked like me, let alone somebody who looked even darker, fatter, you know, things like that. So like looking at these companies and really questioning their morals and questioning, you know, why there isn't a single person above a size 12 on their feed or, you know, why they aren't offering extended sizes, you know, um, really when we push and when we put the pressure, especially in a capitalist society, they're forced to listen. And when we have people who are in more socially acceptable places, those are the people who help us actively get change, you know? Yeah, no, I completely agree. So before we get into our listener questions, do you have some advice to give for those struggling with their body image or even perhaps an eating disorder? Definitely. Um, You know, like you said earlier, like how did it take to get to the point where I'm at now? And I'm not happy with myself every day. I want that to like be on the record because I feel like there's this perception that like I'm this crazy, confident, no fucks person. And that's not true. You know, I struggle just like with my eating disorder and points where I don't like myself and I'm unhappy with myself, but I know that those are temporary feelings. And what I really focus on is that, you know, every day I get better and every day I get farther away from that narrative that I'm not enough just because of my physical being and that it takes time. You know, for me, it took years of unlearning and untraining and really centering myself around people who are going to support me and understand me. And that's the beautiful thing about the internet is that even if you don't have the support system that you need in your personal life, there are ways to find it. So find your community, find people who are not only going to support you, but inspire you to be accepting of yourself. And also remember that it's okay to not be okay. You know, don't expect that you're supposed to be this happy, shiny thing all of the time and question whether why you're not happy it's okay but you do deserve respect and to protect yourself and your bodily autonomy mm-hmm. yeah I love that I think that's very real of you and a very important thing to note that like 
there are hard days. Like we get it all the time. It's one of the most common questions we get asked. Like, how do you get the confidence to be a sex worker? How do you like get confident wearing lingerie all the time? And it's like, in general, I think we're confident individuals, but there are days when we go to the club and we're like, oh, I don't want to wear nothing right now. <laughs> like I want to put on an audience yeah. sweatpants. I would like to wear a sweatshirt. Too. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. I feel exposed, but then you push through that and you're like, no, like it's okay. like, I am going to be okay through this. Like this is work, things like that. But yeah, I think it's silly. And that's also where something where I'm like this, like idea of this overactive positivity all the time. I think, you know, like this toxic positivity, I'm like, yes, I'm a really positive person. I'm a pretty happy person, but also to pretend that we're always happy all the time is bullshit and that's not sustainable, you know? So don't hold yourself to that kind of standard. Yeah, I I completely agree. So we're going to jump into listener questions here. We pulled out uh, five that we thought we're really, well, I mean, think we think all listener questions are good, but we covered a lot in the conversation as well. So we, we pulled out five that we, um, we picked here. The first one is I've gained weight during COVID and my family keeps making comments, not intentionally to be mean, but it's really starting to hurt my feelings. How do I ask them to stop? Well, first things first. I mean, I think everyone as a whole gained weight during COVID. So do I, you survived a pandemic your body literally adjusted to surviving one of the most stressful periods of your life. So please don't look at it as a negative, you know, think of it as like my body fucking killed that. And I'm alive compared to other people who weren't so lucky. Um, I think in regards to talking to your family is a really tough thing. I, I think, you know, it's, you can talk to them and sometimes they don't listen, but I think having that conversation of like, I understand that you don't perceive the comments that you're making to be inherently negative, but the way that I am reacting to them and that's on me, but it's my reaction makes me feel X, Y, and Z. So I would really like to ask for you to kind of stop making comments about my body right now, because I'm trying to find a place where I feel comfortable with it as well. And you're not assisting. I think that's a really good way to really good way to state it. Brilliant. (laughs) (laughs) the next listener question here i'd love to be an instagram model how can i grow an instagram following when i'm not the in quotes typical beauty standard okay this is a tough one because i'm like every this is sadly it's very saturated um everyone kind of wants to be an instagram model it doesn't mean that you will not be um it comes for being unique and finding a unique voice. So even if you don't fit that like idea body perception, like I'm a size 20 and I just got asked to do New York fashion week for something. And I'm like, are you guys serious? Like, this is not real life. So like finding your specific voice, developing your brand. And really for me, when I focus on social media, it's all about consistency. So you know, working on your content, working with great photographers, reaching out to people that really inspire you, seeing what models that look like you are doing and models that like you inspire you get inspiration from them and, you know, really just hit the ground running because if you want to do something, you have to work hard to it. And especially that realm is really hard and competitive, but it has not too much to do with your body these days and everything to do with how much work you're going to put into your social media platform. Mm -hmm. I've heard that a lot. Cons- consistency is like as cliche as it can't sound, sounds like consistency is key. Oh, it's 
it's consistency is key when it comes to social hundred percent. Yeah. I'm- and having a voice, you know, like having something to say, whether it's just your specific niche, you know, you're going to attract people to that voice that much easier instead of just being like, Hey, I'm here. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Another thing I would just add to, and I saw this on, um, on social media recently that really stuck with me was, um, the idea of letting other people say no to you rather than like you saying no, to, you say no to yourself. Like a lot of times I think we, we say no to ourselves by not applying for things that we think we'd get a no from not putting ourselves out there in certain ways. Like we need to stop saying no to ourselves and let people say no to us. If that makes sense. A hundred percent makes total sense. And it's like a no is, um, we also have to get around for like a no is not inherently a negative mm-hmm. too. No is okay. No is bring you to the next person who might say yes. Because you want those no's because you're like, okay, I don't fit in with this thing. Let me move on. Let me move on to the people who actually will support me, who actually want to hire me. Yeah, definitely. The next question here, I'm a, in quotes, larger gal, and I don't have a problem getting men, but the men who do like me seem to want to keep me a secret. Like they're embarrassed to have people know that they like a full figure woman. Sometimes this bothers me. Sometimes it doesn't. I guess I'm wondering, should this bother me more? And how do I approach a convo with them about this? Should I even address it or just find a guy who is okay with having people know his chubby preference? Note, usually them hiding me is the only, in quotes, bad thing about them. Thanks so much. Oh, hell no. Okay, <laughs> to a lot of that. First off, that's what we call fetishizing, where somebody's comfortable with your body and turned on, but yet embarrassed for you. Um, you deserve way more than that. First off, although they're providing other things for you, yes, you have 100% the right to be upset about that and 100% should be. I'm somebody who I'm like, I. this is what you're going to get. I do not hide what this is. You either are into it or you're not, and I could care less if you're not, but don't play with me. Like, I believe that you deserve somebody that not only is not going to hide you, but is proud of the way that you look and is into the way that you look. So yes, you 100% are allowed to be bothered by that. You 100% deserve more. And I hate this idea of fat women being like, well, men are into me, but only in the bedroom. Then they're not into you and you deserve so much better than that. So yes, I'm mad for you. I'm tired of this shit. These men that like to like are okay with societal standards in the bedroom, but yet embarrassed of you, like they should be embarrassed of themselves. Honestly, that sounds like a, a thing that that person needs to work on. And that is not your job, babe. <laughs> the guy needs to work on it. <laughs> yeah, now. yeah, exactly, exactly. But this, I don't think y'all know, like this is the standard, sadly, with being a fat woman is that we are loved and adored in private, but yet shunned in public public because we're not socially acceptable and palatable. And when you allow that, you allow that rhetoric to keep going and that you are less than, and you are not less than if that man is willing to have sex with you and do shit with you, he's fucking should be willing to hold your hand down publicly proud of shit that you're his woman. A hundred percent. I think we get like a glimpse of it too, because we are in a world in the sex industry where, uh, fetishes flourish and it's, funny well not funny but um it's interesting that we work in clubs where there are larger women and you'll have like people typically other women say oh my gosh I can't believe she's a stripper and it's like 
do you know how many fucking dances that bitch sells? Like, she kills it. Like, right? Uh, but like, my only fans, people are like, oh, you're like a normal person. How does that work? And I'm like, because I have a personality yeah. and I'm pretty damn cute, but also, you know, people pay to talk to me because I actually have things to say. Yeah. And, and even on top of yeah. that, too, like a lot of people like that body type, but they oh, only yeah. feel comfortable. 100%. Yeah, they only feel comfortable showing it in the confines of the strip club or the private party. So I think we had a chance to see it more, how much men, a lot of men really do like full figure, larger women. I think it would surprise the general public to see how many requests for um, only only bigger women, like for, for private parties, like requesting women is like, bigger women, please apply. Only woman with like, dump trucks like anything like that so yeah yeah 100 percent. yeah and like I built my entire brand on OnlyFans being like yes I'm fat and I'm hot there's no like fetishizing there's no anything like I am a fat person who is hot accept it or don't like I am like very much this like no I am not dealing with this anymore like I am not not making excuses for my body. Like I am hot because I am a hot person. I am not hot because of X, Y, Z. And I think, you know, that has affected my dating life a hundred percent where I no longer really attract those people who would be embarrassed or I can tell immediately when somebody's looking to fetishize me and I'll only date people who are really excited to be with this hot piece of ass, you know, but it, it takes to a point where you also have to advocate for yourself for that. Just like anything, we all can date people no matter what you look like that have issues with your body and put yourself down and things like that. And I feel like us as women, that sadly is more common than we like to discuss. But, you know, the only way that changes is if we find the confidence and we find our voices and to vocalize that, like, we deserve better than that. Mm-hmm. Completely agree. The next listener question here. I've worked really hard to, in quotes, recover from my eating disorder, but my relationship with food is still pretty toxic. Any advice on how I can better my food relationship? Yes, I'm somebody who it took a long time to get to a good place with food, and now I take food as an enjoyment. You know, you you cannot exist without food. Food is fuel. But also food can be an indulgence and a beautiful thing. I think when you find something that you really enjoy – and you allow yourself to fully enjoy that, that's a great first step, whether it be in the privacy of your own home or going, taking yourself out to a really nice meal, getting to that place is really great. But I think remembering that like your body will tell you the things that it needs and the sustenance that it needs, listen to it. You know, you denying yourself is actually what causes more harm. So once you in tune to like what your body's saying you're going to feel that much better. And it's okay to like your food, let alone eat your food. I think that's a really good way to help switch the perspective is like, this should be like a happy thing. This should be like something that brings you enjoyment. It's not a punishment. Um, So it's definitely something I'm working on. So I do appreciate that, that information because I need to implement it in my own life as well. So the last listener question here. I saw you do OnlyFans. I'm a bigger girl and I struggle to find sexy, affordable lingerie for my size. Do you have any brands you'd recommend that won't break the bank? Ooh, I do. Um, Well, obviously it depends on your size, but um, I really like Playful Promises. They have a really good size um, 
length, depending on what you need. Actually, another great affordable one, my friend who is a size 28 model, um, swears by Adore Me. So it's pretty affordable. I, I tried a couple pieces and the quality is actually pretty good. And I think you get a set for like $25 a month. So especially when you're doing OnlyFans, a new set a month is perfect for $25 because you're always looking to make new content and have new lingerie anyways. Um, but there's, there's a lot of good resources. I mean, if you're looking for something and you're a little bit in the small fats, Fenty is a good idea because it also has a monthly, um, and they have some pretty cool designs. Uh, I personally really like, uh, we are, we wear, which is sold through ASOS. The fit is fantastic on my body and they have really great colors. I just got like an emerald green set. That's fucking killer. Um, so yeah, but also if you message me directly, I have like a whole list. (laughs) Awesome. All right. Before we let you go, we have three rapid fire questions. We ask all of our guests. So the first one is what is one thing on your sexual bucket list that you haven't done, but you want to try? Oh my God. I've done so many things. Uh, yacht femme yacht party. There we go. Of anyone who identifies as a femme on a yacht in New York city with a DJ clothing optional. I like everything you just said. So we want the invite too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Send it over. I'll fly out. <laughs> if I get a really good deal, you'll get an invite. Let's, let's, <laughs> yes. Somebody pays me a lot of money anytime soon. Femme got party happening in New York city. <laughs> <laughs> Date to be announced. <laughs> <laughs> Next one here. What is one thing you've tried sexually that you wouldn't do again? What? Oh my God. I feel like, what is something I've tried sexually I wouldn't do again? Um, balloon popping. Somebody had a balloon popping fetish and it just like, it would scare me. I kept popping them and I was like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> so maybe that one, I don't know. I usually am like somebody who's like, I'll try it twice. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> we like an open whore. Yeah. I, I wonder what the excitement is about that. Like, I wonder what that's connected to. I think it's something to do with the noise and like oh, the yeah. sensation of waiting for the pop. Oh, yeah. That's like, not going to Yeah. So you, you didn't pop the balloons on them? You just like. No, I just popped the balloons. <gasps> yeah. Oh, I do like that. Yes. Me too. Right. Sounds very fun. And splashing was actually pretty fun. I was, I thought I was not going to be into it. And then once I did it, I was like, oh, this is kind of fun. Okay. Sorry. What was that one? Sploshing. Oh, like with food? Yeah. Yes. Oh, that would be fun. Like cakes and like, they make like this cake batter that's technically a slime. It was a fun, it was a fun one. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe this is the way I'll be developing a better relationship with food if I get to splosh it on a man. (laughs) Yeah, splash around that. Yeah, just put tarps down for the love of God. (laughs) And the last question here. If you had the world's attention for 30 seconds, what would you say? Oh, my God. I don't even know. That's a good one. Um, I would say let people live their lives and fuck you, pay me. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) To the point. Awesome. (laughs) All right, before we go, we touched on some tough topics today, and we wanted to plug some resources for anyone who may need them. 
if you are struggling with an eating disorder or you know someone who might be struggling with an eating disorder, the NEDA website is really good. That's nationaleatingdisorders.org. They have an online chat or a uh, call or text line that you can get some help with. There's also a Canadian-specific one. Uh, The number is 416-340-4156, and that's for the nedic.ca website, the uh, Canada's Eating Disorder Help and Support for Eating Disorders. Awesome. Megan, it has been fabulous talking to you. You are such a well of knowledge, but also so real and so authentic. Uh, We absolutely loved having you on. Where can people find you? Uh, thank you so much for having me. Now I'm blushing. Thank you so much. Uh, you can find me on Instagram. It's Miss Giggles, M-S-G-I-G-G-G-L-E-S. And in my bio, there's all of my websites, um, my fan bases, if you're into OnlyFans and cute fat girls. And yeah, that's pretty much it. Awesome. Riley, where can people find you? You can find me on Instagram at VanCityRiley. And as always, you can find me on Instagram at 50plusatip or email at 50plusatip at gmail.com. Slide into the DMs or email with any questions, comments, suggestions. We love getting them. Thank you so much again for joining us, Megan. Have a wonderful week and happy whoring. Bye. Bye. Positive is brought to you by Bright Future. Bright Future is a Canadian-owned company that makes all-natural, premium-quality microdosing products. Their products are designed to stimulate focus, creativity, energy, and boost your mood while decreasing stress and inflammation in the body. Check them out on Instagram at get.brightfuture and on their website, getbrightfuture.ca. Use the code TIP15 at checkout to get your discount. That's T-I-P-1-5 to get your discount. Truly Lifestyle Brand is an all-natural, cruelty-free skin and hair care company that will have you looking and feeling your absolute best. Use their code TRULYPLUSATIP for 10% off your online order. Temptations Avenue Lingerie is a Canadian-owned lingerie brand with a variety of styles, ranging from sexy and wild to demure and sweet. Check them out on Instagram at Temptations Avenue and use code TIP25 to get 25% off your entire order. That's tip two five. Loveify is a Canadian brand that is focused on self-love and pleasure. They're all about empowering women and encouraging them to express their sexuality openly in a judgment-free environment. Click the link in 50 Plus a Tip Instagram and use code 50 Plus a Tip to get 10% off your order. That's 50 Plus a Tip to get 10% off.